Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Welcome to Journey to Success Radio. This is Tom Tutal Cunningham, uh, the world's most well-known Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor. Uh, that's a title I gave myself, but probably if you search Napoleon Hill Foundation, Napoleon Hill Instructor, Napoleon Hill Certified, you're going to find me, page one. Uh, I also call myself a resiliency expert just because of what my life has been with rheumatoid arthritis. I'm the creator of the Journeys to Success book series, and uh, uh, my co-host today, the amazing Chuck Bellina from Pittsburgh. Uh, introduce yourself, Chuck, and then uh, I'll introduce our guest today. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tom. Hello and welcome. My name is Chuck Bellina. I am a mindset development coach, professional speaker, author, and president of Results from Thinking. I work out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania with a gentleman named by uh, Jim Shorkey. And uh, our goal is to provide, uh, help people with unfulfilled lives and um, help them rediscover their passion, transform, transform their dreams into reality, their goals into achievements, and then their thinking into better results. And uh, that's what we are doing here in Pittsburgh. Tom, it's a pleasure to be with you today. And uh, we have a special guest, uh, Jeffrey, the same. Uh, Tom? Yeah, amazing. Not only special. A Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor. So that means we're like brothers. Uh, <laughs> and Jeffrey lives in Toronto. So I live in Mississauga. We could drive to each other's place in like probably half an hour to an hour, depending on traffic. So a Napoleon Hill certified instructor from Toronto, Jeffrey Feldberg. Uh, like you, entrepreneur and thought leader, Jeffrey Feldberg, uh, cheers entrepreneurs who change society. With over two decades of real life experience, Jeffrey's view is different and intriguing. And if you subscribe to his newsletter, you'll see what he means by that. Very good stuff. Most important, Jeffrey has real life in the trenches experience of building an eight-figure business. The motto, your success, my obsession, is the driving force for Jeffrey to help entrepreneurs change the world. As a best-selling author and blogger, Jeffrey shares principles that get results. Uh, Jeffrey blends his in-the-trenches business stories with his storytelling ability. And through his coaching, Jeffrey brings out the best in you with his candid yet caring manner. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Hey, Tom. So nice to be here, Chuck. So nice to be speaking with you as well. It's a true pleasure. Thank you. Good to have you uh, on the show. Uh, Give people, because uh, usually I do this like in the last few minutes, because I don't, I'm not always thinking. Give people your website address, please, right from the start. Absolutely. So my website address, which is really the hub for everything that I do, it's uh, my name. So, you know, www.jeffrey, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, Feldberg, F like Frank, E-L-D, be like bravo, E-R-G.com. 
what a genius idea and i tell so many people like even if they have kids like uh, buy your kids domain names you never know absolutely use it one day smart Uh, advice chuck uh being a journeys to success best-selling author as well why don't you get the first question and uh i'll grab the one after absolutely and i kind of feel like the underdog here because you two both are certified instructors (laughs) with napoleon hill you're a half hour away so if you do plan that uh gathering for a drink at least give me a four and a half hour lead because that's how long it's going to take me to get up for to meet with you guys. love it chuck sounds like a plan um all right so i did sign up for uh your newsletters your emails and i've been getting them for the past week jeffrey and uh, the one word or the one phrase that i've picked up that you've copyrighted is your success my obsession and i was intrigued by that and i get it but i want to hear from you what that means to you and what that guarantees the people that you work with? Well, Chuck, it's a great question. And for myself, it gets right to the heart of what it means to be an entrepreneur. And when, when, I, you know, when I think about it, when I look over my own journey, when I look to others, I, I have a, a saying. And, and the saying is that being an entrepreneur, it, it's really an excuse to help other people. And Take your, your favorite service, your favorite product, whatever that may be. If you think about it for a second, it's solving some kind of problem. Uh, someone thought of it, uh, figured out how to do it. You're using it. You're loving it. And that's what entrepreneurs do. That's what we do. We uh, figure out how to solve problems that makes the, the world go round and make society and, and life uh, a better life and, and a better place to be. So for myself, uh, when I'm whatever I'm doing or whoever I'm working with or, or supporting, I always want people around me to be successful. And my, my personal mantra has been, if I can help enough people go out and get their goals and they can succeed first, and, and the order of this is really important, if I can get enough people to achieve their goals first, then eventually I'll achieve my goals and not the other way around. So when I was thinking, how in a few words can I express that? That's really where your success, my obsession comes from. I'm all about your success. I'll be your biggest raving fan, your biggest cheerleader. I'll do whatever it takes to help you get over the finish line to achieve whatever your goal is, to have you smiling, help those around you, solve all the big problems, and make things happen. You're right. I hear hear that a lot about, um, and you just define it the best in saying the order. The order is if I help you get what you want, I will get what I want. But and and Chuck, you know, I'll just jump in there for a second. It, it's not always like that. I mean, I, I make so many mistakes and I've, I've lost track. I'll share with you, though, uh, my biggest failures. And, you know, we'll talk about this today. You, you know, I, I was a, a kid with no experience right out of school, built an eight-figure company, uh, let that success get to my head, uh, turned right around, and I built a seven-figure company full of losses. It was a seven-figure loss. And so you say, okay, hey, Jeffrey, what do you mean? You had no experience, no money. You built an eight-figure company, and you turn around, and you now have a seven-figure loss. How does that work in in the second company where you should have known better? And I was selfish. I had an ego. I was greedy. It was all about the money. It was about myself first, everyone else second. And, you know, the universe gave me a a real hard kick and said, you know, hey, it doesn't work that way. And so I've having been on on both sides and and learning the hard way, it it really is helping other people first, first and and foremost. Um, I work with Jim Shorkey, 
who is a very successful car dealer in the Pittsburgh area. Um, bankruptcy eminent with one dealership left by his father. Uh, now they are at seven dealerships. Uh, used to sell 800 new and used cars a year. Now they sell 10,000 new and used cars a year. And he has a goal and it's all over his dealerships. And you just alluded to it, Jeffrey. Number one is keep it very, very humble. Uh, because he said the number one thing that will uh, destroy a company once you become very successful is the ego. And he experienced it early on when he was going bankrupt. Number two, which is uh, love the customer. And then the third rule, which is actually the same as number two rule, is love the, uh, love the team member, love your team, the people that you work with. Because if you don't love the team, you have no one to take care of the customer. And it trickles down. So, um, oh, wow, well, you just hit it upon what Jim always tells me about is keep it very, very humble. So uh, I appreciate that. That's, uh, that's great stuff. Right. And, and you take right from uh, the third sentence in my definite purpose, which I basically a little bit stole from Zig Ziglar. I will be generous in sharing my time, money, and knowledge because I must help others get what they want before I can receive what I want. There you go. And, uh, Amen to that. And I'm just thinking it's my birthday coming up. I tend to get, uh, I have five tattoos. I was thinking of the word serve, the word serve, because I have PMA, I have the word encourager. And so I thought the word serve would be a good one to remind me of really what life is uh, about. Now I get the next question, Chuck, and I get the Napoleon Hill question. (laughs) So I love to ask people, what age were you when you first were introduced to Napoleon Hill? Was there someone who said, Jeffrey, you need to read this book? And what impact has it had on your life? It, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful question. And as I think back to it, I have very fond memories. I, as a kid growing up, I, I loved business, was always uh, attracted to it. And, and I knew I would be in business when, when all was said and done. I first was introduced to Napoleon Hill. I must have been 18 or 19. And uh, back then, still living with my parents, uh, my, my dad came to me one day. My, my dad, uh, who's passed away since, but a wonderful man and, and mentor, uh, he was the infomercial dream client. He, whatever he saw, he, he would bought. And so he, he saw the infomercial for Think and Grow Rich. And, and, you know, God bless him. He thought of me and bought that for me. And, and when it came, he was all excited, came to my room and said, Jeffrey, you're not going to believe what I got for you. It's a book that I wish I had when I was first getting into business. It just would have saved me so much pain and, and so much uh, heartache and, and so much misery that I, I hope this will be a gift that you'll use for the rest of your life and, and you'll always remember. And so he gave me the book and I read it cover to cover. And, uh, but, you know, I still in school and I still wasn't out there in, in business. It wasn't until I started my, my first company that I built into eight figures, Embanet, an e-learning online company. And that's when I was reminded of uh, Think and Grow Rich. Went back to the book. I, I was having a, just a, a troubled day. It was a challenging day. One of those days where you want to uh, just call it quits, throw everything in. We, we all have those. Remembered the book, remembered my father, tore through the book, read it cover to cover. And that's really what started to change things around. You know, momentum, it takes time to build up. You, you can lose it in a heartbeat. Uh, but when you have it, you have it. And Think and Grow Rich 
began the momentum for me of getting my head back on straight, giving me the confidence and the encouragement to, to keep moving forward and keep trying, keep failing until what, uh, you know, something's got to work and, and eventually it did. And uh, in the early days, my best practices, my early successes, which led to my biggest success, it's, it's all tied into Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, uh, the positive mental attitude, all of Napoleon Hill's writings and the philosophy, it all starts there. And it's something that to this day, it's near and dear to my heart. And it, the, the book every year, I, I go through it multiple times. Right. And your story echoes so many people that I have asked that. The first reading of Think and Grow Rich doesn't always take. Often when you're young, people have read it young, parents, and they're like, okay, I read it when I was this age, but when I was this age is when I actually applied it and saw the value in it. And so, uh, yeah, if, you, if you've already read it, pick it up again. You're going to find something. You're going to be at a different stage in life. You're going to be like, wow. I forgot all this and so, so powerful. So always, always good. good. Um, it, it is. And, and, you know, just before we uh, move forward, the one thing I, I would say, if you haven't read Think and Grow Rich and, and you're thinking about it, don't let the, the language of the day throw you off uh, because it, it does come from a different era and a different time. But just imagine if you could, in, in today's terms, take all of the business titans that are out there and you, you can pick your favorites, you know who they are. And you can sit down with them and ask them, hey, what's your secret to success? What got you from zero to hero? What were the things that I'm not going to learn in school? I'm not going to learn from other people. What did you do to get there? And that's what Think and Grow Rich is. And, and really, success and the principles behind success, they're timeless. The language may change. Our customs and traditions may change. The principles don't. They will go from generation to generation. And Think and Grow Rich unlocks it. It reveals it. It gets you well on your way. Why reinvent the, the wheel if you don't have to? It's, it's already there. Napoleon Hill did all that for us and did a lot of the heavy lifting that we can just pick it up and, and literally stand on the shoulders of giants. Right. And you addressed something that Judy Williamson, education director, we know her, Napoleon Hill Foundation, she said that's something the foundation has in the back of their mind. And they never worry, but they, they think about the new generations and that language from Think and Grow Rich and even the examples of people they use that wouldn't be so familiar. And so, yes, get past all that because, come on, 70, Don Green, executive director of the Napoleon Hill Foundation, says over 100 million copies have been sold. You'll see 70 million. I'm going with 100 million because you can buy it on PDF and apps and all kinds of ways. So over 100 million people have read it. So as Jeffrey said, maybe old style English uh, and maybe people you're not so familiar with if you're a millennial, but the principles are the same. Just replace the names of the people with, as Jeffrey said, the titans of today. They use the same principles. And uh, so read the book to find out how the people you love the most got to where they are because it's the same principles as the people Napoleon Hill and Kipping. And he'll say, he'll challenge you to read the book three times. And right. you won't want to put it down because like you said, Jeffrey, you're going to read it and it may not, or actually you said it, Tom, it may not resonate with you the first time you read it. And most people, if you look at routines, most people read a book one time. Rare is it they read it more than once. And they may, they may read it twice because they like it or they can't find another book to pick up yet. 
Uh, they'll watch a movie several times, right? You watch it time and time again. Yeah. But the cool thing is if they've experienced that, watching a movie multiple times, they will pick up other things in that movie that were not there the first time they watched it. And that's how your mind works. And that's what Napoleon Hill figured out. And that's why he challenged you. He tells you to read auto-suggestion, the fourth chapter, again and again and again until you fully accept what it's challenging you to do before you move on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I work, uh, again, Jim Shorkey, very impressive individual. Um, I was not introduced to Think and Grow Rich until two and a half years ago. And I just turned 48. And I wish I had the opportunity early on to get that book in hand. And uh, I'm with a gentleman working with him. He has now read that book 126 times straight, um, continuously. And each time he reads it, he has a notepad and he's taking notes and he's reading it from a different perspective and picking up new information that's helping him to be successful today as it has helped him throughout the years. Um, so it's, I, I'm really excited to be in this mindset and studying such an incredible book that's been around and it holds the secrets, but it's not smoke and mirrors. It is so foundational. And, and, and it's, and like you said, Jeffrey, it's, it, it, it surpasses time. It doesn't matter that we're so far in technology. These are key principles on how your mindset works that will help you in whatever you're going after, no matter what's going on in our uh, day and age. And the other thing you said, and I hear it uh, as a common theme, and earlier in the uh, discussion, Tom, uh, earlier today, almost like you had your back against the wall, Jeffrey. You kind of had a bad day. Things weren't going right. You were struggling, and you remembered the book, and you picked it up, and you read it. And I don't know how many times I've heard someone say where they're, to use the phrase, their back was against the wall, and they decided to make a change. So you work with people, and they come to you either with a challenge or they come to you uh, out of interest in what you can offer them. And let's say their back's not against the wall. Let's say they don't have everything to lose just yet, and they are curious. How do you compel them to really understand this information that you have to offer them, the, um, uh, the success strategies that you offer, to get them to start implementing them, to start getting a change without kind of hitting rock bottom before the people start making a change? It's a great question, and uh, I mean, we we can just spend the rest of the time talking about that. And books and encyclopedias have have been written about that. But all all that said, uh, failure or setbacks or disappointments really are part of the process. And in my experience, if you don't have those, you're probably not going to get the level of success that you'd like to attain. In, in my experience, everyone. Every single person has their own success waiting for them. It's just around the corner. But the only question is, are you ready for it? Are you ready for the level of success that will come your way when you put the time in, you're passionate about solving a problem that's affecting so many people, and you actually go out and and do it? Well, until you get there and, and the setbacks and failures that you have along the way, that's what makes you ready for it so that when it does come, you're that much better, stronger, and wiser to deal with it. So as part of the process, that's uh, to be expected. It, it's to be normal, and, and you should uh, not discourage it, but when it happens, learn from it. In my books, there's no such thing as, as a failure. The, the only time anyone ever fails is if you don't learn from it. 
if you keep on making the same mistake again and again and again, and you're not learning from it, okay, it, in my books, that's failure. But if you have a setback and you're able to learn from it, move forward, apply it, help those around you and keep on moving, uh, that, that's, that's a huge success. So if you can keep that in mind as you go on your own success journey, really it then becomes a question of what are you all about? What is your passion about? And, and what you're passionate about, is there a problem that you can solve? I can have a passion. I can have even a problem that I'm passionate solving. But maybe the marketplace doesn't want to recognize that. Maybe there's not enough people who have that same problem. Or maybe the people that have that problem don't want to pay for it. So there's so many things that, that go into it. But really, it's, it's for anyone who is going down this path. The first thing that I'd say to you, if you've, quote unquote, failed, if you've had setbacks, it's not your fault. And uh, I want you to know that so many times when I speak with people, oh, you know, uh, I, I had this problem. I, I just, I, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't have enough money. I don't know what I should be doing. And, and the truth is that usually the experts are wrong. There's no such thing as common sense. And you're just not being told what to do or how to do it in, in the right way. So it's not your fault. Uh, once you can get over that, once you can accept that, it's an amazing and exciting world that's waiting for you when you know how to apply things, what to do, and where to channel your time, your effort, and your energy. And being an entrepreneur, it's like anything else. What you put into it is what very directly and very proportionally you're going to get out of it. I love I agree. it. I love it. Now, uh, Chuck and I know your story. You are in the same book as Chuck, Journeys to Success, Volume 5. Um, but uh, I, I was fascinated by Embanet and your story. So share your story so people know eight-figure business. They're like, oh, can I copy that? Tell me about this eight-figure business. And so very interesting, kind of like leading edge when you started it. And so tell people about your journey to success. Absolutely. and. I want you to ask yourself a question. So if, if I were to ask you this, how could a kid right out of school, no formal business experience, no money, uh, living out of his parents' attic, no team, uh, just uh, everything is against him, is he going to succeed? If, if I had to make a bet on that, I, I would probably be saying, I don't think so, no. But despite that, despite the odds, despite everything that was against me, not only did I succeed, not only was I able to outmaneuver and, and beat the competition and, and build an eight-figure company, I, I was able to do it by bootstrapping the company all the way through. And if you get to the bottom of it, okay, well, why, Jeffrey, or how? Tell me, how did it all uh, come together? It really boils down to this. Uh, I am passionate as, as a person. I'm passionate about technology, about education, and even above all that, helping people. And so when I came out of my, uh, my business program, my MBA program, uh, I was passionate about helping other business schools solve the problem of saving the students time, saving the faculty time, and allowing everyone to learn in a way that today we just take for granted. Uh, you know, back in when I started, it was 1995. The internet was just getting going. It was not commonplace. When you spoke about the web, it was a spider's web. I mean, it wasn't uh, what, what we think of today. So I had, I had put together a, a, a 
really a solution or a formula to help business schools solve this problem. And that really came from my own experience in my own MBA program. Uh, so very selfishly, when I entered my program, I was just a few weeks into it. Uh, my Myself and my group at the time said, you know what? We are going to live this experience. We are going to be the program. We're going to meet before class. We're going to meet after class. We're going to meet on the weekends. We're going to meet on weeknights. We're just going to make the most of it. And so we did that. And we somehow stumbled upon a wonderful recipe of how do you become the most miserable and unhappy people in the program? And, and that was us. We had people that were threatening to leave the group. Uh, you know, my joke is when I began the program, I had a full head of hair. And if you can see me today, it's just a fraction of what used to be there. It was a stress. I, I never recovered from, from that part of it. But I said to myself, I have two years of this. And I just cannot imagine myself going through the stress and this pain for two years I got to do something about this. And it, it's so true. You know, Tony Robbins says people will do more to avoid pain than to get pleasure. And I was willing to do anything to avoid that pain. So I came up with a solution for my group. I, I threw together at the time, it was a little Macintosh computer out of my bedroom uh, back in the days when you had these things called modems and people would dial in. Uh, I wasn't even a programmer. So I, I took um, other people's software that I purchased and, and I started using that. And, and I put together a system that actually worked for the group. So this is a, a really important uh, part, just to pause here for a second. And let me point out a few things. I wasn't a programmer, I was not a developer, but it didn't matter. And, and you know, the, the truth is a technology, it's a dime a dozen. It's what you do with a technology that becomes really important. I figured out a way of applying this technology in a certain way that hadn't been done quite that way before. And it worked for the group. Uh, my group went from the worst group to the best group. We got straight A's. Uh, we met only when we needed to. We uh, worked the least amount in the program. And it was our competitive weapon, but I felt guilty. And partway through the semester, introduced it to the class. And then one thing led to another. For the next two years, the school started to use it. And it really transformed the school of the way the education was delivered. And Despite all that, uh, sometimes you just don't see what's in front of you. Uh, you know, one of my other favorite books is Acres of Diamonds, where the diamonds are right below your feet. You just don't see it. So here I am, I'm about to graduate. I know there's no way I could ever be an employee. Uh, I just knew that uh, going in. I've never really had, a, well, the only job I had was an internship from the MBA program. And if I were my boss, I, I would have fired me on the spot. I, I knew I just was not an employee. I would do something on my own. But I had no idea what I was going to do until the last month before graduation. I said, hey, you know what, Jeffrey? If you could solve this problem for your business school, I bet there's other business schools that could benefit and you can help them solve the same problems that you were going through. And so from this one little idea for my own group that who would have thought would have had application, I hung a shingle out the door and started, uh, started the business, not really knowing a thing of what I could do. And I'll, I'll save, save you all the, the pain and, and the time of, of you know, how difficult it was in the beginning. But I'll simply say this, you know, I kept at it every day. I applied the success principles I learned from Napoleon Hill. Uh, the business started to grow. Uh, eventually, I outgrew the business marketplace or the business school marketplace. I then moved into something I'd never heard of before called continuing education and started to work from there. I solved the problem so well that my customers came back to me and said, Jeffrey, 
you solved our problem. We no longer have issues of having students stay in their seats and learn the course materials and get through the course. Our problem now is how do we find the students in the first place? Uh, the marketplace has changed. Technology has changed. Can you help us with that? And that had me put myself out of business. And I created the MBNet 2, as I call it, and had some great business partners along the way and a wonderful team. And it was just one thing after the other, listening to the customers, solving their problems, taking it to the next level, that over time, before you know it, here was a, a, uh, just a robust, thriving, profitable eight-figure company that all started from solving a problem. Wow. Wow. That's quite a journey. That was cool. Um, incredible you, uh, story. You married, and yeah. as I sit here and listen to you, for the listeners listening, as you described, you weren't IT, you weren't a, um, you weren't in the uh, Chuck froze. This happened on our interview this morning too. So I got you now until he unfreezes. So uh, powerful story. And yeah, you're so young. So many people must have said you're crazy, whatever. And I love that you knew right from the start, you never want to be an employee and you've never been an employee since. That's the entrepreneur's dream. But I was, uh, are you married? Do you have kids? I, I am uh, married. I have uh, two uh, beautiful uh, daughters. I actually, I just uh, got remarried this past fall and I have uh, uh, a beautiful uh, wife. And um, actually, my, my first wife was uh, a partner, a business partner in Embanet. And uh, despite uh, no longer being married, uh, uh, it's, uh, everyone is friendly and uh, it's on great terms and uh, we, uh, everyone keeps on moving forward. Uh, is there some challenges when you're married to an entrepreneur? My wife would be able to answer this. Oh, for 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 sure. Uh, hey, listen, uh, nothing is is ever perfect with uh, with the good things that, that you have uh, when when you have to be married to an entrepreneur. There's some downsides as well uh, that that comes with it. It's always you know both sides of of the coin. But you know, really, it's it's whatever works for you, whatever makes the most sense, and and whatever. Uh, helps get you to to the next level, but married or or not married, and uh, we're talking about Napoleon Hill a little bit earlier. He gave some really wise counsel, and and this is counsel that I give to anyone who will listen. And in uh, the coaching that I do, and in the masterminds that I'm in, it's whoever you choose as your life partner, whether that's a, a husband, a wife, a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a significant other. Uh, it's one of the most important decisions that you can ever make. Choose the right partner and you have everything that you need to achieve your success. But if you don't choose wisely, it becomes much more difficult and, and you have some uh, major challenges ahead. So choose wisely and, and think carefully about that. Very carefully. And Napoleon Hill wrote a fair bit about the uh, best mastermind alliance, husband and wife, and specifically always mentioned Thomas Edison and, and Henry Ford. And so, as you said, make that decision uh, wisely, because especially if, <laughs> if you're anybody, but especially if you're an entrepreneur, you need to find the right person. And so, in incredible. Uh, what about, uh, uh, we have a book coming out June 25th, Positive Mental Attitude. Uh, and uh, we know, because we're Napoleon Hill Foundation instructors, W. Clement Stone and Napoleon Hill used to have an argument. W. Clement Stone thought PMA should be the number one principle. 
And as we know, the foundation teaches, so Napoleon Hill must have won. Definiteness of purpose is number one. Uh, in my opinion, if you don't know your definite purpose, but you have a positive mental attitude, you're going to be successful in most areas of your life. Whereas if you have know your definite purpose, but you don't have a positive mental attitude, doesn't matter because you're not going to achieve your purpose anyway. So talk about definite purpose and positive attitude and really they're, they're, they go together. You, you really shouldn't have one without the other. Oh, absolutely. It's really the yin and the yang. And if you're just listening to this for the first time and you're not sure of a definiteness of purpose, uh, think of it as uh, in other circles, it's your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal, or it's your one thing. I mean, there, there's so many different terms around it, but they really all, all say and, and get to the same principles, just different words. So when you take your definiteness of a purpose of what you're really all about, what the, the big picture, what the vision is of, of where you want to be, where you're going, what you're going to do, if you don't have that positive mental attitude, uh, Tom, I, I, I agree, you're done before you've even begun. And we were talking about Embinet before, I, I'll share with you. I wasn't always the smartest person in the room, uh, and most times I wasn't, and, and that was probably the best thing that, that could have happened. Uh, I had no idea what, what I was doing. I, literally, I, I was that kid right out of school. Here were all these seasoned professionals around me saying, Jeffrey, uh-uh, not going to work, can't do it, impossible, don't even try it, forget about it. But in my mind, the more I was told no, the more I said to myself, I can do it. I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to go around, through, under, over, whatever it takes. I'm going to get this job done. And that all came from my positive mental attitude. And not always, but a lot of the times, ignorance is bliss. You know, when you look out there and you look at people who have just achieved tremendous success, and I've been very fortunate from millionaires to billionaires to everyone else in, in between, when I speak with them and, and I hear the story, one common theme I hear time and time again is, when I first began, I had no idea what I was doing. And because I had no idea what I was doing, it allowed me to do things that were never done before. I did things differently. I, I was able to do things that people just didn't think of doing. And that's what got me from A to Z that much quicker. And a lot of that, in my experience, comes from a positive mental attitude, just the belief in yourself. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I, I will figure it out. I will get there and I'm going to make this happen regardless of what happens. And really, if you look to Embinet of what made that a success, what made that an eight-figure company when in every other way it shouldn't have, it was a positive mental attitude. It was a belief of, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to help these people. We're going to cross the finish line together somehow, some way. I love it. I love it. Uh, people may be wondering about definite of purpose. I'll just share mine. So people know uh, the first sentence. I got like five sentences. My definite purpose is to encourage as many people as possible to live positively with and through the many and varied challenges of life. And then I got four sentences about how and why and where and who. But uh, that, you know, a purpose that drives you until you stop breathing. Once you know that, and you have a positive attitude, wow, there's very little that's going to get in your way. So look for the purpose, but develop the attitude before the purpose even, because you're going to need the attitude once you do discover the purpose. And if you don't have the attitude before you discover the purpose, you're never, never, never going to do it anyway. And Tom, you, you bring up uh, so many good points. And one of the points that really resonates, and, and I hear this all the time out there, 
you know, Jeffrey, I'm so busy. I, I have so many things to do. And even when I'm working, I get so many distractions and I have more things to do than time itself. How do you do it? What do I do? Can you give me some advice? Can you help me with that? And that's really where the definiteness of purpose comes in. And for me, what I learned early on, anytime I had to make a decision, I'd ask myself one very simple question. And the question I asked was this, if I say yes to this commitment that's being asked of me, of my time, of my effort, of my energy, if I say yes to this, is it moving me closer to achieving my definiteness of purpose? And if the answer is yes, I'm going to do it. If the answer is no, I won't. And sometimes it can come across as, as um, calculating and perhaps even a little bit cold, but in the scheme of things, when you think about it, if you're out to change the social fabric of society, if you're out to solve the problem of countless people, knowing what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing is, is so key, so critical. I was reading the other day that the average interruption, every time uh, you get sidetracked by social media or the phone rings or someone comes up and asks you a question, it takes your brain 23 minutes to get you back into the zone. And the average person today has more interruptions than there is time itself in a day to, to get things done. So knowing what your definiteness of purpose is, that, that allows you to set up your day, set up your schedule, create a lifestyle that's going to support you and your ultimate success. I, I love that. Chuck, I'll let you have the last, the last question. But uh, I love that, Jeffrey, because having, for me, having a definite purpose narrows my focus. There's so many things I don't pay attention to. And it makes me narrow-minded, and not narrow-minded, but makes me narrow in my focus. Like if you're talking about weather, traffic, sports, negative news networks, I have no idea because I'm so focused on my purpose. I believe that God gave, you know, if, if God were here, he'd say, here's your purpose. So I feel like if I'm watching mindless TV, I'm actually not serving people. I'm not doing what I was put on earth to do. And so I think having a purpose really can clarify and get rid of a lot of other things, hard choices. I'm interested in a lot of things, but I don't pursue them because interest is not enough to distract me. I need it to, I need it to be a part of my purpose. Chuck, go ahead here. Yeah, absolutely. Two couple of things I was thinking of. Um, you just said, I'm interested in this, but the question is, are you committed? And if you're committed, it's different just than just being interested. If you're committed, you have more, uh, more of what you need to support the direction you're going to go, and uh, you can be more successful. And then there's a gentleman named, uh, named Kerwin, Kerwin Ray. I don't know if you've uh, seen him online, but he talks about people who are very busy, and you know you got to work hard. But there's so many, my wife actually just said it today, like, I don't even have time. You know, she's like, so how can I add anything else more into my day? And to your point, Jeffrey and Tommy said it, where um, you have all this activity and there's so many things that you can be doing, but does it lead you to your, 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 what you're going after? Does it lead you to um, your, um, your goals and your vision? And so instead of activity focused, it's outcomes focused. And when you start to align with what you're going after down to your daily activities, and, and I think you said this, Jeffrey, if you say, does this bring me value? Does it take me one step closer to the goals that I'm going after? Then I'm going to focus on it. And then you'll soon realize that these other things, although they're important, 
they don't have the gravity that these other key elements need to be in your life. Uh, that little phrase of, um, and you probably heard it, there's a jar, and if you put the sand and water in first, you'll never have room for the rocks. And you got to figure out what your rocks are on a daily basis that are going to drive you to your ultimate goals. So um, I guess last question for you, Jeffrey, you talk about uncommon strategies to generate success and you have an email uh, invitation out to people when they hit your website, they can sign up for a weekly email and a midweek email uh, and that you'll provide them and feed them some awesome information to really help out. Any teasers on a couple uncommon strategies that we haven't already touched upon? Actually, Chuck, that's a very timely question. As we speak, I'm uh, working on my next post, which is 11 unusual success hacks to unlock sweet success. And uh, absolutely. And uh, just before I talk about the one thing, uh, Chuck, I'd like to reference of what you said just before, of a lot of people will confuse activity with progress. And I see it so often with so many, not just entrepreneurs, but people in general. Uh, hey, I'm busy. If I'm so busy, I, I must be achieving things. I, I must be uh, doing things uh, right. Well, actually, no, you're just confusing being busy with, uh, with progress. And, and it, it really are two very different things. Right. But in, in terms of uh, unusual or, or different uh, success hacks or strategies as, um, that I found over the years. I'll, I'll share a few of them with you and uh, I'll encourage you to come to my, my uh, blog post and you can read all 11 of them. Uh, one thing uh, that I, I found very early on is uh, when I started running my company, I, I learned the hard way that I really need to run it in a little bit of a dichotomy in the sense of I should run my company as though I'm going to own it and, and be with it forever on the one hand. But on the other hand, I should run it like I'm going to sell it tomorrow. And you may say, well, why? why? Why would you do that? How can you do that? It, it doesn't make sense. And what I found is that if you have the mindset, well, I'm just going to be here forever. And I'm, I'm going to do this until I retire. I, people, just human nature, we take our eye off the wheel. We become a little bit lazy. We don't make the right decisions that we should. And not a good thing. If you run it like you're going to sell it tomorrow, then that helps to prevent that from happening. It also helps keep you sharp, keep you on edge, keep you ahead of the competition. Uh, it ensures that you're going to be doing what your customers, being where they want you to be, doing what they want you to be doing. Uh, but uh, at the same time, it's going to uh, prevent you from, if you run it like you're going to sell tomorrow, if you take that to the extreme, as we've seen all too often with companies that are public and they're worried about the stock price, of running it too short term. So if you can straddle the fine line of I'm going to run it like I have it forever, but I'm going to run it like I sell it tomorrow. It really gives you the best of both worlds. You're integrating best practices from two powerful strategies that really put you in the league of your own uh, when you're just out there doing your thing. Uh, something else. Uh, go ahead. No, um, to bring it to the listener, how many people, when they go to sell their home, finally do the repairs that they've accepted in their house. I got a friend of mine who's doing all this repair to his house. I'm like, why are you doing all this stuff? Like, you know, why didn't you do it when you were living in it so you can enjoy it and make the most of it? He's doing all the repairs so he can hand it off to someone else uh, and make it better than what it already is. So to your point, the mindset is, uh, it's good enough. But if the mindset is, oh, I got to sell this thing. So you better brush up on your activity. You better brush up on your client list. You better brush up on your productivity or the marketing, whatever you need to be. And then you get to benefit from all that hard work. 
not the next person. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you get to enjoy it. Uh, it's uh, you're, you're right on target with that, Chuck. You know, one other thing, uh, another teaser I'll throw your way of just something to think about, and uh, I'll preface this by saying I still make this mistake even today, uh, and it's something I constantly remind myself uh, to not do. Uh, but it's this: just because you can write the check, it doesn't mean that you should. And whether you're a pauper or a billionaire. Uh, writing the check isn't always the answer. In fact, most times it isn't. When I look back to the very early days of Embanet, I couldn't write the check, even if I wanted to. So what that forced me to do is the lack of resources forced me to be resourceful. So resourcefulness trumps resources any day of the week. And when you don't write the check, it forces you to find other ways of doing it uh, that perhaps are going to be more innovative quicker. It'll certainly help the bottom line when you can do that. And it's something I remind myself time and time again, writing the check is easy. Uh, sometimes it's even too painless to do, and it doesn't always get you the results that, that you're looking for. So think twice before doing it. Ask yourself the tough questions. Okay, yes, there might be some inconvenience. Yes, there might be some challenges or difficulties or pain if I don't write the check. But what would it look like? What, what if? What if I could do it this way? What if I could achieve this in, a, in another manner that I don't have to write the check that sets me apart from everyone else? And, and for me, that has just been, when I've applied that principle and put it to, uh, to use, it's just been huge. Makes a lot of sense. Great advice. People, people love the uncommon. And uh, jeffreyfeldberg.com, sign up for that newsletter. I always enjoy it. There's always something good in there. Uh, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y. Jeffrey Feldberg, F-E-L-D-B-E-R-G.com. Uh, thanks so much for being with us, uh, Jeffrey. Uh, today, I'm looking forward to our book release, June 25th, P Positive Mental Attitude. You're already a bestseller in the Journeys to Success book series and uh, Napoleon Hill Certified Instructor. That, that one thing, Napoleon Hill Certified Instructor, gives us the ability to change people's lives and impact people around the world. And so... Uh, Let's keep up the quest. And thanks for joining me, uh, Chuck, today. Always good. Uh, you, you're a newbie to Think and Grow Rich, but uh, you're absorbing it from someone who's read it 126 times. And so uh, that's I just got to ooze through his pores, Think and Grow Rich, at this point. I think so. He believes in Napoleon Hill, whatever color that is. Right. Um, Jeffrey, it was a pleasure meeting you today. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Chuck, Tom, uh, really the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. It's been uh, an honor to uh, be with you and have a chance just to share notes and uh, talk and hopefully add some value out there for all of our listeners. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtutall.com for details.